Hello, my name's Justin the Clue, and I'm by myself today because I just wanted to give a little introduction to this bonus episode that you're listening to right now. This is the Patreon episode we did last week, and I just wanted to give a chance to our regular listeners to listen to what we talk about every week on our exclusive Patreon episodes. Hopefully, you'll enjoy this so much that you're going to rush to your computer to order a subscription that will allow you to listen to the four episodes we post every month and the 65-episode back catalog. So, enjoy this bonus episode, and I hope that it inspires you to become a Patreon subscriber. Well, I think I would have liked this movie, but it just didn't have a good story. You know... I can appreciate lots of kinds of movies, but when I go to a movie, fundamentally what I like is to have a good story to pull me along. And that is the thing that everybody has always said. And I'm talking about, like, my mom, my dad, my friends, even, like, studio executives, especially, like, directors and actors. When they talk about, like, what attracts you to the thing that you want to do. They're like, well, if it has a good story, I'm right there. Yeah. Steven Spielberg might say, you know, fundamentally, we directors are storytellers. Exactly. That's what it's all about. You know, Hook really speaks to me and what it means to be a child and an adult. And it just has a good story, doesn't it? This is one of my pet peeves. I think that anybody who's really into (laughs) movies and reads criticism and gives movies to people and get this response, it bugs them. Mm -hmm. When in reality, like, when people say that it's just because they can't articulate why they didn't like something i think it's especially used as a cudgel to beat avant-garde films with oh really or or to like dismiss them Mm -hmm. uh, or to not have to deal with them because people can say something like yeah that's stan bracket shit that's all fine but really what movies are about are stories and we talked a a little bit about this in our experimental episode but what they're really saying is that they don't find it engaging Mm -hmm. like they don't find something that they can kind of attach themselves to and become involved emotionally without doing too much work i think this you know it's all about story argument is right but not in the way that people think it's right Mm -hmm. because film no matter what kind of a film it is is an intrinsically narrative art form Mm -hmm. if you're norman mclaren and you put you know one abstract image next to another abstract image that's a story yeah well it's creating an emotional response in the audience and like what do these things together what do they mean yeah. beyond like ups and downs and three act structures? Yeah. And, you know, somebody like Norman McLaren will, you know, introduce themes and ideas through like the shapes and colors. Yes. And if you watch any of his kind of like musical based ones, number one, he has the backing track of the music. So that's a story. Exactly. Right there. Which has its own structure mm-hmm. and the way that the shapes play out also tell a story in the sense that there'll be like rising action, lowering action. But you know, many years ago, I read a book, a how-to manual on the art of screenwriting. Story by uh, Robert McKee? No, it wasn't as good as that. It was a lesser one. Um, (laughs) But even this person, and I don't like this book, by the way. But What was it called? I can't remember what it was called. But even the person who wrote the book said that people don't remember stories. What they remember are scenes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, didn't Howard Hawks say, like, every movie needs, like, three or four good scenes and no bad ones? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think that says a lot about, like, what we talk again about when we say story. Why does it bug me and you that much? Mm -hmm. Like, is it because these people, when they complain about that... They're complaining about something that we don't think is as important as they think it is. Yeah, and I also think it's like, where are your priorities and how imaginative is your response to a film? Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at 
um, I don't know, a Marx Brothers movie yeah. or uh, a Kung Fu movie or a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie, you might say, well, you know, the, the dance scenes are great, but where's the story? I think that that's the thing that bugs me the mm-hmm. most is that I feel that like some people can't just engage with a movie in parts. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean like when we watch most of the Kung Fu films, especially like the field fighting ones where they're just mm-hmm. fighting out in the field and you couldn't even say the story if someone held a gun to your head. <laughs> you wish people would be like, well, the martial arts scenes, like those were great. And like, that's what I like about it. And that's what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But that rarely happens. And I mean, I fall into that trap as well, where I'm like, well, overall it didn't work. And while other times I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt and go like, oh, well, these moments and these things that it did were great. But I think it's a very unimaginative way to engage with film. Basically what it's saying is there's one way for a movie to operate, Mm -hmm. which is like the traditional three-act structure. And if a movie doesn't conform to that, you know, if it's more about atmosphere or it's more about an individual performance, you Mm -hmm. know, capturing a performance, then it's not as valid as as Do you think that, like, these are the barriers that people are bringing to their viewing experiences as opposed to not understanding how to interact with something. If a movie is atmospheric and it works on that level, shouldn't it engage the person automatically? Or do they have to come with the critical faculties to be able to enjoy it? Well, I know that in my own experience, I, when I was younger, might have... So this is like, this is partly the fervor of apostasy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I might have used that argument of like, well, sure, the fight scenes are good, but where's the story? Yeah, I mean, I I still sometimes say like, oh, this was good, but like, overall, I wasn't drawn in. But like, it's it's an assumption that I think is so like drilled into us. It is somehow uh, from a very early age, and it's based upon like you said that three act structure mm-hmm. of what a movie and the story a movie is supposed to tell has to be, mm-hmm. which I think is a problem. Now, one thing I will say is another another reason why the argument is semi right mm-hmm. is that movies benefit from having rhythm and pace and a sense of momentum and you know a three-act structure is kind of like a a tried and tested thing like it it works on some level and when we talk about pace we also often like subconsciously are talking about the fact that like there's enough new stuff to keep us engaged Mm -hmm. that we don't have to sit with something Mm -hmm. and kind of like look at it yeah Compare a movie like Animal Crackers, which I love, mm-hmm. and a movie like Duck Soup, which I love more. Yes. Uh, Animal Crackers is, you know, a film stage play, and it has uh, five or six top-notch comedy scenes in it, and, you know, some some lesser stuff in between the comedy sequences, and, it, you know, it kind of lives and dies from one scene to the next scene to the next scene, and it feels a little longer than its 90 minutes. But Duck Soup is a movie where I can sense, even though it has no more of a plot, quote unquote, mm-hmm. than Animal Crackers, may even have less plot than Animal Crackers, there's more of a sense of momentum to it. It builds more. Well, I think when people say that they don't like the story, they're also talking about pace and the idea that like it's not paced right. The way that even like an action film, like you can have an amazing action scene, but then it can be too long. So you lose a sense of pace. Mm -hmm. Or if there's too big a break between action scenes, even though they're the most amazing action scenes ever, Mm -hmm. then you also lose that idea of like connectedness of this film experience. Because the reality is we're still sitting there from 90 to what feels like seven hours (laughs) with some movies and taking it all in one go most of the time. Or that's how they want us to take it. And you can definitely have too much of a good 
thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like some people complain about like Harboil. Like there's like, oh, there's too much action in that movie. Now, while I disagree <laughs> based on my taste, I can understand that. Sure. Where I get more frustrated was people are like, oh, I didn't like that movie because, you know, Hardboiled, the story wasn't very original. I remember that uh, Tom Wisner in Asian cult cinema gives it something like two and a half or three stars out of oh, five. Wow. And he does use that complaint of the story is too ludicrous and it wasn't good enough for me to become engaged in it. I also hate the kind of like smug self-satisfaction of that response to a yes. movie where it might be like, well, I'm the expert. I know that this is how a movie is supposed to be rather than willing to like kind of open your mind to another experience. But then at the same time, viewers could also use the complaint of like, oh, well, it wasn't original enough mm-hmm. and not understanding like what they actually mean mm-hmm. because because viewers, in reality, even me and you, most of the time when we see something that we like, we don't want them to do something completely opposite of that because we want what we like. That is true. Like, genres work that way. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, the viewer understands what it's supposed to be, and if it doesn't hit those tropes, then you have to start using words like post-horror or post-action <laughs> film or other bullshit like that. But, like, what are some movies that you wouldn't qualify having good stories but are considered classics? I mean, I think most of the movies that I love, some of them have great stories mm-hmm. but but most of them what i'm responding to is not the stories because i think story is just a vessel mm-hmm. it's, it's a vessel for other things so you know last week we talked about the wizard of oz do i the story is great but what i really like are the ruby slippers and the makeup on the witch's face yeah and the aesthetics of yeah. it you know, uh, I mean, I'm not the, the biggest Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers fan because I love the dance scenes, but I'm not so crazy about the stuff in between the dance scenes. But I love the dance scenes. Or like Army of Darkness is one of my favorites. What I'm responding to is not the story, which is a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's mm-hmm. Court. It's really the energy and the performances and the aesthetics of that. Mm-hmm. But then I still understand when people, they don't like those things. Mm-hmm. But then they'll come o- around and be like, ah, the story wasn't so hot. Or, you know, uh, Ingmar Bergman's films, mm-hmm. his stories are off often quite competent. Yeah. Uh, But I think what people respond more in his films are the cinematography by Sven Nykvist. They like those images of people's faces, those piercing shots of people looking into the camera, and also the ideas that he's communicating. Yeah, I think the existential musings that Bergman kind of puts out in the world is what people really respond to, because he's also giving the audience an opportunity to kind of mull on it. Because when people talk about Bergman films being slow... It's often because Bergman is presenting these ideas and these images to people and he wants them to kind of like consider it as it's happening in front of them. And, you know, we've talked about kind of more durational cinema like Chantal Ackerman Ackerman or Simon Lang or somebody like that where it's really about existing in that shot for a long time and you look at something like Star Wars like the original one Mm -hmm. like George Lucas would never be the one that would jump on his high horse and go oh this is new story this is why it's connecting with people the reason that Star Wars is connecting with people is because it is those tried Mm -hmm. and tired tropes like Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey but just putting them in a package that everything aesthetically around it just works perfectly and that's why when you do something like The Last Jedi who kind of goes against those things people react so violently to it last week speaking of the marx brothers i revisited a day at the races for the first time in a really long time Mm -hmm. i always kind of remembered it as being the beginning of their decline and it probably is because you know the marx brothers are a case where the more story they had in a way the less funny they got because they're they were better as anarchic forces Mm -hmm. rather than like helping the hero get with the girl (laughs) you know whatever but a Day at the Races, I I really loved it a lot more than I remembered it because fundamentally it came down to like five great comic scenes. Yes. You know? And so you remember those moments more yeah. than anything around it. But do you think that we 
give more leeway to classical cinema, like I would say probably pre-50s or even pre-40s, than we do to cinema now that feels crazier and it feels much more shambly because we expect those people making it now to understand the mechanisms that are supposed to go in place. And back then, you know, they were just figuring it out. Oddly enough, I think, you know, the Hollywood studio era was like when filmmakers were at the height of their competence. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, look at at any mid-level like Hollywood narrative film from the 30s and 40s and they fucking knew how to make movies. Everyone in the... <laughs> whereas people don't always now. Frankly. Yeah, 90 minutes. Now you get a movie... Forward. Now you get a director like Tom Hooper who just doesn't know how to make a movie. <laughs> hey, wait, what Tom Hooper films do I like? The King's Speech. Oh, no, that's not good. <laughs> well, I, I like the music. Uh, that was fine. All right, whatever. Um, I, I hate it, but... <laughs> They're Tom Hooper hate. But, you know, there are other movies where I find myself returning to them over and over again. Again, not for the story, but mm-hmm. because of the atmosphere, because it's almost like a place where I like to visit. Yeah. So a week or two ago, I revisited Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead. Ugh, love it. I love it. And it keeps getting better every time I see it. Um, and and I, it's a movie that the plot is incomprehensible. I remember when I was watching Argento's films that like the story not being logical bugged me at that time. And I think that it's probably because I was just entering it from a place that like I have these expected things to happen. And when you go against that, I assume it's incompetency. Yeah, and I think there are certain directors who come along when there's a a cinephile is young who kind of unlocks it for them. David Lynch. Yes. More than anyone. He's he's somebody who, you know, I think oftentimes when people are young and watch his movies, they're a little confounded or they might be frustrated by something like Mulholland Drive, but he also shows them that there are other ways to tell a story and there are other textures. I'm curious to know when, like, you allow the artist's intent to define the way that you approach a film. Because, like, people, when they go see a David Lynch film, know who David Lynch is. So they're willing to, like, give him these opportunities that what he's doing doing is intent like uh-huh. the author's not dead with david lynch because yeah. you know that he's doing these things whether they're like just based on his dreams or whatever you'll just give it to him while if somebody else did very similar things you would assume that person is incompetent or trying to rip david lynch off well actually this is a reason why i find lucio fulci so interesting mm-hmm. and increasingly interesting because like i think he is a great filmmaker in a way but he's also at times a barely competent filmmaker Do you know that he was a huge blowhard in his life that uh, would kind of rag on everybody else's films saying that his were the best and like everybody else was shit in the Italian film industry well, you know what he's right <laughs> but no but but I mean like he, he he's he made movies where the bad stuff and the good stuff are not easily extricable. Yeah, I understand what you mean. The fact that the acting is bad and the ADR is bad and the plot doesn't always make sense, but sometimes it's hard to tell, does the plot purposely not make sense? Or was it cut out? Or even something like the use of zooms, Mm -hmm. which cinema history has basically defined as something that's goofy and something that is kind of anachronistic at this point Mm -hmm. in time. I was reading a diary that Vim Vendors wrote when he helped Antonioni make a feature film at the time that Antonio had had a stroke. He could not talk and he couldn't write either, but he was still going to direct a film thanks mm-hmm. to the help of his wife and Vim Vendors. And Vendors was saying that like it drove him crazy the way that... Um, the camera kept zooming, like Antonioni kept using this technique, <laughs> and he just didn't like it because it was breaking the reality of the way the human eye can see. Because mm. a zoom in cinema is like one of the textbook things that the eye cannot do. That's not how you look. Mm. So to do that kind of breaks the reality of what you're seeing in the same way that like 
people use the argument of, well, the story makes no sense because that's not how it would happen. So that's why I don't like this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we grow older and you see more movies, like those techniques like zooms and stuff, you kind of like start to love them if they're used in like a non-goofy way. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the way the Tarantino uses a zoom is like, look at me, I know I'm using a zoom and it's goofy. Yeah, or in a kung fu movie Mm -hmm. when it'll zoom or or a movie like Police Story where you see the same stunt three times in a row from three different angles. And like the way Lucio Fulcher uses zooms and he uses so many in his movies Mm -hmm. you can tell that it's just like a technique that is in his toolbox Mm -hmm. like he's not using it as like a goofy thing Mm -hmm. and i think that goes a little bit beyond of like oh it has a bad story but it plays into it as well in the Mm -hmm. same way that my when my dad would say something like well that movie was weird what he's saying is that movie was bad and i didn't like it but he can't quantify why yeah that's another thing you hear all the time so he's trying to say like well it doesn't fit within the box of what i expect movies to be Mm -hmm. hence i don't like it Mm-hmm. Even though that the reality of it may be like you thought it was paced bad or the characters weren't good. So what we're trying to say is that we just want people to, I don't know, use more language when they talk yeah. about movies or what are some good screenplays for you? Some movies where you think, you know, the story is actually the real driver. Well, definitely driver. anything written by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> well, his movies are very plotty, aren't they? Yeah, I mean Memento is the one that people would use in like school and stuff like that. Or like pulp fiction. <sighs> I'm trying to know, think that, of like movies that are really plotty that are my favorites because in reality the idea of a movie that like falls into a bunch of boxes and kind of like its storytelling is very intricate always interests me a lot but the ones where i think of that are also kind of linked directly to its visual style whether it be like Shaun of the dead mm-hmm. or um nothing comes to mind and you know I think one of the reasons why so much online like TV recap criticism isn't very good is because it really just engages with the stuff on a story level. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like, you know, here's what literally happened in the story this week. Here's my reaction to to what happened in the story. Here's what I think may or may not happen next week. Yeah. It's not it's not that interesting. And I think that like when you say like what are your favorite like script story driven movies? I was racking my brains of like, well, what do I own as a script? Because if I think it's good enough, like I would want to read it on the page and would have have its own value and i can't think of anything that i have that i own as a script because why would i read it if i could just go watch the movie instead yeah i think the only uh, scripts i own are are the monty python scripts yeah you know in script books i had those too because it was the only way to experience it yeah. at that time yeah but also because like you know like the marx brothers really they're just a collection of scenes and and their skits are very kind of rhythmical and mm-hmm. it's interesting to see the back and forth as it's written i think something like christopher McQuarrie's script for the usual suspects is very interesting mm-hmm. because it's all pretty much there on the page but like the visual style the movie uses is coming directly from the script how about you is there anyone that you can think of um i'll put out two uh a A fish called wanda Mm -hmm. by john cleese and charles Crichton is a movie where a lot of the pleasure comes from watching like the the clockwork precision of the story like there's not a single wasted beat in the story and the story is very complicated it's funny that like the director has gone on in interviews to say that the movie, like, the first cut, like, wasn't that funny because he mm. tried to figure out, like, how you sell these, like, intricate gags. Like, the fact that you see a dog get killed at one point mm. and, like, should you cut to the mm. dog? Should you not cut to the dog? Is it funny? Mm. And that's, like, beyond the story, right? Yeah. But th- as you said, the story in that movie is still very complicated and that, like, that is the building blocks of it, but not the be-all, end-all. But a story or a screenplay that is often taught in screenwriting classes, Casablanca, mm-hmm. It's a movie where a lot of the pleasure comes, again, from the fact that the story is quite complicated and that there are, you know, six or seven, like, players on the chessboard and Mm -hmm. it's watching them maneuver. And, you know, the movie has an amazing sense of pace and the dialogue is great. But I think a lot of the pleasure of the film comes from 
Humphrey Bogart's yeah. voice or yeah. the way that he sings, I'm forgetting his name, but, you know, as time goes by mm-hmm. or Peter Lorre or Sidney Greenstreet. It's funny that, like, we've talked about Casablanca. We talked about Wizard of Oz uh, last week that these movies have come to the point of, like, being a classic when they are not auteurist works. Mm-hmm. Like, they are individual, like, flash in the pan moments. Yeah. And also, I think maybe this is comes back to the people who primarily value movies as stories may not primarily value them as like expressions of a filmmaker's mm-hmm. uh, ideas or neuroses. Huh, that's an interesting yeah. uh, idea because I'm trying to think of like, what do people that I know who don't like love movies, just like movies like anybody in the world would, and what are their favorites and like what do they respond to like, in that regard? Yeah, because like if somebody says, tell me a story, I think kind of what they're saying is let me forget the world for two hours yes, and let engage me, me in some yeah, way or, or just or just kind of like entertain me yeah. and have it be very passive whereas with a more let's say auteurist film or maybe the the approach that we might advocate it's more like a direct communication with the film mm. like it's a different sort of engagement and what i'm trying to say is like we're super smart and <laughs> don't know how to watch movies. i mean i wouldn't get it if i hadn't read story by robert mckee <laughs> but i think what's the most important important out of all of this is a story of important cinema club it holds up it's evolving as it's going along that's right we've changed as people it's engaging and that people don't have to think too much when they listen to us and people need to listen to this podcast just like in one sitting like, from <laughs> beginning to end we're like uh like jess franco it's like not one movie it's all the movies yeah, same thing with right. important cinema club